Chapter Nine of the Fairy of the Snows by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Nine Introducing Mr. Morrow at His Worst and Dr. Kelly at His Best. On the morning after Christmas, the porter of St. Xavier's College met me as I was coming up from breakfast. Father Carney, there's a little girl over in the pastor's parlor waiting to see you. I found Alice huddled up in a chair. On seeing me, she arose, not, however, with her usual sprightliness. Oh, Father, she said, and burst into tears. Don't cry, Alice. What is it, my dear? Is Papa out of work again? Alice, after a short struggle, controlled herself. It's worse than that. He's drinking again. My heart sank, fading away, like the unsubstantial pageant of a vision. I saw that happy, though humble tenement home, in which sobs were to replace smiles, tears, merry laughter, and blows, the tender expressions of endearment. When did he begin, Alice? He went out last night to visit some friends, and when he came home at two this morning he was shouting, and, and cursing, Father. Alice, I am sincerely sorry. And, Father, please, please don't give him over to the Humane Society. Why not, my dear? Because he's so good, and we all love him so, and it would be terrible if he got arrested and his name got into the papers. It's so, so common, you know. Alice, you may be sure that I'll not report him to the Humane Society. You tell Mama to keep him home today, and I'll come down tonight and see him. Oh, will you, Father? exclaimed Alice, beaming, rising upon her toes and throwing out her hands, wing-fashion. How kind! We'll expect you tonight. And, Father, you'll say a prayer for him, won't you? I certainly will. Good-bye, Father. With her sweeping curtsy she was gone. Really it was the sudden disappearance. True to my promise, I knocked at the door of the Morrow family, as the bells of St. Xavier were ringing eight. The door was opened by a delegation, Alice, Elsie, Frank, and tiny Elizabeth, all of them dressed in taste that was actually exquisite. They were, in looks and in attire, lovely little children, and as they appeared that night, fit to grace the mansion of any millionaire. In many a tenement these little flowers of the earth changed poverty into wealth, and touched the sordid surroundings into a strange and unnamed beauty. All smiles, the children saying nothing, made the respective and carefully rehearsed salutes. Alice her elaborate curtsy, Elsie a less elaborate sweep, Frank his little bob, and tiny Elizabeth, if I may so describe it, a glide, one foot remaining firmly set, and the other going back so far that Alice was obliged to help the little miss get it back again. "'Come in, father,' said Alice. "'Let me have your hat and umbrella. We didn't think you would come out in this rain.' During these ceremonies I took in the room. It was small, indeed, and rather close, but clean as a Dutch parlor. In one corner was the stove, as black and as shining as a stove could well be. Above it, in perfect array, glittered upon shelves and hooks, pots and pans. A row of crockery showed some very cheap chinaware to the best advantage, and a dresser nearby was decorated with those pretty little grim cracks which give an air of coziness to poverty in a tenement. But what surprised me most of all were long garlands of ivy with here and there red holly berries hanging from the ceiling and giving the humble room a very Christmassy appearance, indeed. Mrs. Morrow herself, smiling timidly, had arisen from a chair beside the stove, in her hands, as I expected, needle and thread in a child's garment. 
welcome father and a merry christmas to you she said advancing how beautiful everything looks in your home i observed as i took her hand your children would brighten any place but this room even without the children would be a sort of bower of beauty alice and elsie have been working all day father to get things in shape for you they say you were coming and somehow or other they managed to get these garlands and worked like little beavers i helped too protested francis so you did my dear assented the mother and without you i don't see how they could have finished francis thereupon threw out his chest and smiled at everybody and everything in general where is mr morrow he's in bed he's sick she added with a wry smile all day he has been lying in bed oh father thank god anyhow that he didn't begin drinking till last night else we should have had no christmas as it was yesterday up to nightfall was the happiest day we've had in years the children all got presents and and here she broke down and put her handkerchief to her tired eyes excuse me she said recovering herself and i'll try to get my husband to come in saying which she opened the door of the adjoining room and entering shut it after her accepting the invitation to seat myself my knees were at once captured by francis and margaret who without any ado at once climbed upon them with the easy air of proprietorship nor did they exhibit the least surprise when i dipped into my coat pocket and brought out some candy i may add that for the rest of the interview i was saved the trouble of performing this service for them they attended to it themselves alice and elsie meanwhile were bringing me bit by bit their dolls and other gifts for inspection and approval the candy was almost exhausted and the gifts all shone when the door opened again and mr morrow walked in he was a fine-looking man tall slightly built with a light moustache and a decidedly blonde complexion he looked harmless enough only his bloodshot eyes and sheepish expression gave hint of his recent relapse merry christmas father carney he said advancing to me the same to you my friend i see that your little ones have had a merry christmas sure enough yes father they did i motioned mrs morrow to take the children into the other room you nearly spoiled it for them last night i was out with some friends and you had a good time yes father and by a good time you mean spilling liquor till you lost your reason and made yourself so sick that you're hardly able to stand up look at your hands man they're trembling your nerves are all gone that's so father and you call that having a good time do you in the name of god man tell me what it is to have a bad time if you call that sort of thing having a good time father i'm going to quit if not for yourself then for the sake of these dear little children and that loyal wife of yours just look at your children now they're clean well dressed healthy and good suppose you had been drinking these last six months it would have been quite different and you know it when did you go to confession five years ago no wonder god has allowed you to suffer a careless catholic need not expect the blessing of god on his daily life you must go to confession and resolve to stop drinking for good i'll do it father i promise you tonight my head is splitting and i'm not able to think oh what a fool i've been i'll be ready tomorrow to make a new start father i'd like to go to confession to you if you please you've been very good to my little ones and they are talking of you all the time how would tomorrow evening at seven o'clock do i asked anything that suits you suits me father very well be in st xavier's church tomorrow evening at seven o'clock now mrs morrow 
I continued, raising my voice. Come in, we've had our little talk. Presently I took my leave with a thankful heart. The possibility of an ideal home, a loyal wife, lovely and bright children, a sober and industrious husband, gave promise of at length becoming an actuality. Alice insisted on seeing me downstairs. Once we were out of earshot, she stopped, holding me by the hand. Father, is Papa going to confession? Yes, my dear, I think he is. He has promised me to go to confession tomorrow evening. Alice's face became transfigured. Oh, Father, I've been praying for it day and night. Your father, my dear, means to do right, but he's weak. Keep on praying for him. Shall I walk home with you, Father? Alice asked on our reaching the street. Oh, no, my dear, I've got my angel for a companion. You have more than one, I think, said Alice simply. Good night, Father. Sleep tight. Before I could turn, she was literally dancing up the stairs. Our fairy of the snows brought fairyland into that old ramshackle tenement. On Wednesday evening, punctual to the stroke of the clock, I entered St. Xavier's Church and made my way to my confessional. There were, I observed, several men and a number of women at their devotions. But in the casual glance I gave them, I failed to discover the presence of Mr. Morrow. Scarcely had I seated myself when I heard someone enter the confessional. Opening the slide, I was about to give the customary blessing when a child's voice gave me pause. Father, I haven't come to confession. I'm Alice. There was bad news in her accents. And where is your father, my child? He got very sick last night, about an hour after you left, father, and then he said he would have to get some medicine or he'd go crazy. Mama wanted to go to the drug store for him, but he wouldn't let her. So he went out himself, and Mama and I stayed up all night. We said our beads six times at least, waiting for him. He got back at four o'clock this morning, and, and, here the little voice broke into sobs, and father, he was drunk. He threw the lamp at Mama, and he beat me for staying up, and he's drinking yet, and he's making me run out for liquor. Poor man, I said. It is his one weakness, Alice, and you must be patient. Surely all our prayers will do some good. And, Father, I want to thank you for all the trouble you've taken. Oh, I was so happy last night. I felt as if I could fly. Mama and I were so sure he was going to confession. And, Father, I'm afraid he'll kill Mama. He gets so savage when he's drinking. I don't mind his beating me so much. Did he hurt you, my child? Yes, he did, Father, but he generally only uses his hands on me. Last night he uses his fists, and my legs and arms are black and blue. I'm a little lame, too. I found it hard to run here tonight. My right knee is a little stiff. By this time I could feel my blood tingling in every vein. I was furious. He ought to be poisoned, I said. But he's only that way when he's drinking, Father. Oh, if you knew him when he's himself. But I must go over missed me and beat me again. Father, give me your blessing. I blessed her and repaired to my room in a state of mind far from calm. The picture of our little fairy of the snows in the hands of a man turned beast by drink, beaten, shaken, pounded, rose so vividly before my eyes that for almost an hour I could not dismiss it. I could hear the innocent child's cries of pain, and could see the shame, grief, and terror in her eyes and face. Oh, God, that in a civilized and Christian land such things can be! Gradually I seemed to hear not her cries, but the sobs and moans of countless wives and children in countless homes of drunken fathers. 
the low sad music of humanity rose up into a wail presently i was meditating and praying more than an hour and a half must have passed when i was brought to myself by a knock at my door father carney said the porter with his eyes big with excitement there's a girl in the parlor she's wild looking and she wants to see you in a hurry my heart jumped it must be alice and a visit from her at nine of the night could spell nothing but calamity could the worst have happened had the child been right in fearing that murrow in drunken rage would murder his wife the porter had scarcely delivered his message when i swung by him and clattered down the staircase alice it was standing in the parlor wringing her hands oh father she cried running to me on my entrance and pillowing her head on my arm i've done something awful and i'm afraid so it was not a murder after all i breathed more easily gently lifting the child's head i said what is it alice papa sent me for beer three times and struck me once the fourth time i thought i'd try and stop him i'd heard about a way and i thought i'd try it so i put some medicine in the beer the fourth time he drank it and got sick right away as soon as he began to look queer i ran out and came to you what medicine did you put in it i don't know father it's this alice produced a small bottle which she had kept concealed within her left sleeve i held it up to the light and read laudanum how much did you put in i don't know exactly i guess about a tablespoonful it may have been less or a little more wait i said and shot out of the parlor and up the stairs to the telephone booth my good friend dr kelly lived fortunately for me on more than one occasion quite near dr kelly's office came a voice that you doctor yes this is father carney i've a hurry call can you start at once my buggy is at the door good come right over to the pastor's residence and i'll go with you it is a case of poison in beer laudanum a tablespoonful or more the man that's poisoned is a heavy drinker i'm coming said the doctor and hung up the receiver although it took me hardly a minute to change my cassock for my street attire the doctor in his buggy was awaiting me before i had again gone down the stairs come along alice i said and together we trotted literally trotted from the door of the pastor's house to sycamore street a distance of almost half a block i fairly threw alice into the buggy jumped in after her and at the same time gave the number and street to the ready doctor who at once flicked the horse and thanks to the late hour and the absence of traffic officers set off at a pace livelier than was legal for our destination tell me what i'm to know said the doctor as we dashed past sixth street the little girl wanted to stop her father from drinking and she put medicine in his beer the medicine happened to be laudanum girl where did you get that laudanum mamma had some in a little bottle for her toothache did you know it was poison asked the doctor as we swung east turning from sycamore to third poison almost screamed the child if you've given him enough said the good doctor who also was sarcastic you've certainly cured him of his taste for beer effectually fortunately alice did not understand the import of his words does anybody know you put that that medicine in his beer he continued no one but you and father carney well no one else is to know not even your mother do you understand young lady yes sir can you keep a secret yes sir well you keep this a dead secret or i'll cut your head off alice was duly impressed no less by the fierceness of the doctor's voice than by the savageness of his threat i'll keep it sir cross my heart 
We were there now, in front of the tenement. Come up at your leisure, father, said Dr. Kelly. Tie the horse, will you, and little Miss Lightfoot and I will go ahead at double speed. I'll let you know when I want you. When I reached the living room, I found the wife and children huddled together. Mr. Morrow was very frightened. Oh, father, thank you for getting the doctor. I didn't know what to do. My husband has drunk himself to death, I'm afraid. Woman, come in here quick, called the doctor from the inner room. We listened to the various sounds and the whispered voices within for what seemed to me an unconscionable time. At length the doctor came out with a broad smile on his face. He's all right, but he won't want any beer for a long time. Madam, he said, addressing Mrs. Morrow, your husband poisoned himself drinking beer, and only for the quick action of your clever little girl would he be a dead man. Tell him tomorrow that he's to drink no more liquor. Liquor is poison to him. As for you, Father Carney, there is no need to anoint him, and he's in no state to make his confession now. But tomorrow early you call in, and you'll find you've got a very docile penitent. Taking the wife aside, the doctor gave her a few directions, and presently we were on our way out. Young lady, said the physician, to our escort, Alice, you might have killed your father. As it is, there's no harm done. In fact, it's going to turn out a good thing. Dr. Kelly was right. Mr. Morrow went to confession and received Holy Communion in the most edifying sentiments. He pledged himself to abstain from liquor and began what appeared to be a new life. All this I told the doctor a week later. And now, doctor, I added, what's your bill? Let me see, mused the doctor. My horse hurt his foot going down fourth the third. I lost my night's sleep and spent two hours of hard work. Suppose we call it fifty dollars. Yes, suppose, I said with a strong accent on the last word. Of course, continued Dr. Kelly, with the usual discount to the clergy. And how much is that? One hundred percent. Why not make the bill a thousand dollars, doctor? To be sure, why not? But I didn't think of it in time. End of chapter 9 Recording by Maria Therese